Well, I could stand up here all day and tell you stories about uh, misadventures of generic family vacations from the time that I was a little boy uh, up until now. Uh, an inherited family trait of uh, generic men is that we can make it rain in the Sahara Desert even. Uh, but that's not what the story is about. And this is another misadventure that I'm going to tell you about. Uh, when I was young, my grandparents lived in Florida. We lived in New Jersey, of course, and uh, our summer vacation was typically we would have uh, mom and dad pile the three boys at the time into the back of the old uh, Chevy wagon, leave at three in the morning with sleeping bags and on suitcases piled high on the roof racks. I'm sure many of you can relate to this. Uh, and we would drive to Florida, and uh, what would happen was we would stop somewhere in South Carolina uh, on the first night, and then day two, we'd get up and we'd drive the rest of the way to uh, Tampa, Florida. Well, one year, uh, on the second day of this journey, uh, we uh, hit a dog or a deer or a hog or something uh, with our old Chevy station wagon. There was nothing left of the animal. We couldn't even tell uh, what it had once been. Uh, but it shattered our entire front end and the radiator and everything else. And uh, this was in uh, backwater Georgia somewhere. So we spent four days uh, in some hotel in Georgia waiting for uh, a, re a replacement radiator to be ordered from California or who knows where. Uh, by the time we got back on the road uh, that day, uh, four days had passed. So uh, I've also, in, ability, uh, in addition to my ability to make it rain, I've inherited that from my father. I've also inherited impatience from my father. And I just can't imagine what it was like for him with three kids, restless as can be, uh, and a wife, uh, you know, in a hotel room uh, for four days waiting for this uh, radiator to be repaired. So uh, that could not have been much fun, and I, I uh, put myself in his shoes today. Uh, I can't imagine what that must have been like for him. But this is what happens when you're traveling, right? When you're traveling unexpected, unplanned, unwelcome things happen. And uh, if you've ever traveled, you know that you have to learn to be flexible because sometimes your travel plans uh, don't turn out exactly like you had hoped that they would. Well, we come to the Apostle Paul. On some things, he was not flexible at all, right? His theology particularly. Uh, when you're talking about Christian theology, Paul, completely inflexible, and rightly so. He spoke clearly about our sin problem. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. He taught that there's only one way to be saved. It's through Jesus Christ. Uh, he taught that we cannot earn our way to salvation. It's a free gift given by God, by grace, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. So on these matters, Paul was not at all flexible, and we not, ought not to be flexible on those matters either. But regarding his travel plans, Paul was very flexible. He had to learn to be flexible because as he learned and as he knew, God is sovereign. And as Proverbs 16, 9 says, uh, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So he understood God's sovereignty. Now, Paul wrote Romans uh, sometime during his third missionary journey, uh, writing from Corinth in about 57 AD. And, and by the time Paul had written Romans, he had already had to learn adaptability, flexibility, uh, because God opened doors and God is the one who directed his path. So uh, if we look at this map, uh, we, we can talk about uh, what happened to Paul. He particularly earned flexibility on his second missionary journey. Now, on that journey, uh, Paul was in uh, this area here, which we call Galatia, but he wanted to go into Asia. That's where he wanted to go, but the book of Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit prevented him from going there. So what did Paul do? 
He didn't go there, he went to this area called Mysia. And then from there, he went to this little town called Troas. And in Troas, he had a vision of a man uh, across the way, across the sea there in Macedonia, who said, come on over here and help us. And so Paul and Silas cross over into Macedonia. Uh, and so that changed Paul's itinerary and his plans completely. Uh, he had not planned to go to Macedonia. He wanted to go into Asia. Uh, but there he is in Macedonia, which changed the entire trajectory of Paul's ministry. Uh, I'm sure he was frustrated. Uh, you know, Holy Spirit, why won't you let me go into Asia? I'm trying to go there and spread the word. But God had another plan. God extended the borders of Paul's ministry far greater than he had initially envisioned. So that's his second missionary journey. Now he's on his third missionary journey. And he told the Romans here in chapter 15 that he had three destinations in mind. So looking at a larger scale map, he's writing from this area in Greece called Corinth down here. Now what he wants to do is to go from there to Jerusalem then he wants to go back to Rome, and then he wants to go to Spain. So those are the three destinations that Paul has in mind. And Paul said he had wanted to come to Rome for quite some time uh, and then have the Romans help him on his way to Spain. So Paul had these plans, but he's already learned in his life that he's gotta, he can make plans, but he's got to hold on to them loosely. Uh, and he also prayed that God would bless his travels and protect him from the people in Jerusalem who meant him harm. So the lesson for today uh, is to see Paul's complete and total trust and dependence on God. So let's look at it first, talking about Paul's plans. First, his plans to go to Rome. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you wherever I go, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So, here's Paul at the end of chapter 15 talking about his travel plans. Now, I want you to remember all the way back in Romans 1, uh, in verses 8 to 10, here's what Paul said. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, talking to the Romans, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. So in chapter 1, he tells them he wants to come. Then there's lots of theology, lots of application. And now here at the end of chapter 15, Paul uh, reintroduces again this theme that he wants to come and visit them. Now, last week, what we saw is that Paul had this missionary strategy of, of travel widely. Don't build on another person's foundation, but preach Christ where he's not already known and open the eyes of the blind. So that's what he wanted to do. And in verse 22, he says, for this reason, I've often been prevented from coming to you. Well, what reason is he talking about? Well, the reason is that he had not fully exhausted the regions that he was in, those Mediterranean regions that we were talking about earlier, the regions of Galatia and Greece. He hadn't uh, fully uh, reached all those people. There were unreached people that God wanted Paul to reach 
before he gave him an extended Western European uh, ministry. So uh, that's why. But in verse 23 now, what we see is that he has now exhausted all of that area. Not that he preached to every single person there, but as we saw last week, Paul lit fires in strategic places around that region, and the fire grew and spread, and so the gospel had spread to that entire region. And so now he's completed that mission, and since he had always wanted to go to Rome, now seems like a good time to fulfill his longing to see them. <clears throat> but first, he needs to stop in Jerusalem. And so that's verses 25 to 27. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So here's Paul in his third missionary journey. And he's traveled now uh, throughout Macedonia and Achaia. And that's roughly the area up here uh, from, uh, sorry, up here from Philippi uh, down to this area of Corinth and Athens. So the, the length of, uh, of uh, Achaia is where uh, he's been. And as he's been traveling through there, he's been taking a collection uh, for the saints who are in Jerusalem. He's been uh, making a collection uh, so he can uh, minister to these saints in Jerusalem. And, and there's plenty of speculation about why these saints in Jerusalem are poor. Uh, and probably the, the most uh, reasonable explanation is that it's because uh, since these Jewish folks have become Christian, now the Jews will no longer do business with them uh, and they won't hire them. And so they're starving because they can't earn a living. Another theory is that the, uh, the, the famine that, uh, that Luke talked about in Acts chapter 11 uh, was still ongoing. They were still feeling the effects of that. So we don't know the exact reason, but there is a famine going on. The people in Jerusalem are poor and they're hungry. And what we understand from it is that God allowed uh, this famine uh, and for these Christians to be suffering poverty because he wants to unite the church. Uh, and this is how he's going to do it, through this collection that the Gentiles give from miles away. And so it's an incredible blessing uh, for them to receive this gift, or Paul hoped it would be, uh, to take this gift that came from Gentiles from across the many miles. And so we're blessed when we give and we're blessed when we receive. And Paul wanted to ease the suffering of the saints uh, in Jerusalem, and so he wants to take up this collection, and he was counting on these Gentile believers to help. So Paul takes the collection. Think about for a minute just how dangerous this is. Now, you know, they don't Venmo money to each other like we do today, right? There, there's no electronic transfer of funds. We don't wire money in the first century. Paul's carrying a whole boatload of cash in his pockets, right? And so that would make him a, a target for thieves and robbers, people who would mean to do him harm. Uh, but Paul was no stranger to danger, and he uh, trusted God fully to, to give him uh, protection and be able to allow him to deliver this offering. Now, Paul talked about the reason for the Gentile offering in verse 27. Paul says that the Gentiles owe it to the Jerusalem church uh, to pay this spiritual debt. And what Paul meant was that the Gentiles owed their salvation to the Jews. And what he means by that is that, of course, God's covenant people uh, is Israel. And God made certain covenants with Israel and then promised to bless the Gentiles through Israel. 
And so God's plan uh, for Israel, as we learned in chapters 9 through 11, is to be God's covenant people and then to bless Israel uh, through, uh, to bless the Gentiles through Israel. Now, uh, we've seen that because Israel has been unfaithful, uh, that God has set Israel aside for a time and he's blessing the Gentiles now, but there is a future for Israel uh, sometime later. Uh, But God has decided that he wants to bless the Gentiles now. And because, the, because Israel had the first uh, fruits of God's spiritual blessings, the covenants, uh, and the Gentiles, he allowed the Gentiles to share uh, in the Jewish blessings. Now the Gentiles owe a spiritual contribution back to Israel. That's Paul's argument. And uh, thankfully for them, they could pay it back with material blessings. And so that's the purpose of this collection. I always wonder, as Paul's going around uh, through Achaia and and Greece, if he's got to twist some arms to get uh, these uh, Greek folks to to realize that they actually do owe a contribution. Uh, We don't know, uh, but Paul could be a very persuasive fellow, and so he was able to uh, take this contribution and head off to Jerusalem. So he's going to go to Jerusalem first, and then he's going to go to Rome, and then hopefully he'll get to Spain, and that's his hope that he writes in verses 28 and 29. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul wants to put his seal on this Gentile gift, and that means that he wanted to deliver it personally and testify to these, uh, these Christians in Jerusalem who were Jewish about the faithfulness of these Gentiles to make this contribution to them, uh, to promote uh, the solidarity between the Gentile and the Jewish Christians. And then after Paul dropped off the gift, then he would go to Rome. And Paul prayed to God that he would bless that desire to go to Rome and that Paul and the Romans would have time to have fellowship with each other and encourage each other briefly before Paul went to Spain. Well, why was Paul so interested in Spain to begin with? Well, uh, again, this goes back to his desire to not build on somebody else's foundation. And Spain was the furthest western outpost of the Roman Empire. Uh, And so there's evidence that, that the Roman Empire existed in Spain And remember that Paul was a Roman citizen, uh, so he hoped that he would be able to gain a foothold there. And there's also evidence of first century Jewish settlements uh, in Spain. So maybe he thought he could uh, have some fellowship with the the Jewish uh, people and maybe make converts of them and start churches there like he did around the region. Uh, But he wanted to preach the gospel where the name of Jesus was not yet known. And even though it would be hard, and even though it would cost him, uh, ultimately it would cost him his life, uh, Paul wanted to preach where the gospel had not been known. Now, I think it's funny that Paul talks about these uh, trips like he's got a couple errands to run, right? Like he's going to run to the bank, and then he's going to run to CVS, and then he's going to, you know, maybe stop and pick something up at Kroger, and then he's going to go home again, right? Uh, It's 800 miles by sea uh, from Corinth to Jerusalem, and he didn't go by sea. He went by land. It's much further that way. And then it is uh, 1,500 miles uh, from Jerusalem to Rome by sea, and then another 700 miles to go from Rome to Spain. Uh, so this was not a you know, quick little uh, out, out to, uh, to run a couple errands. This, talk, this was years of travel that Paul was planning out. 
Uh, and he knew that it's good to make plans, but travel is in incredibly dangerous. And that's why he talked uh, in 2 Corinthians 11 about being uh, in danger at sea, in danger from robbers, etc. All these things he was experiencing in real life, carrying all this money and having to get on boats uh, and, and go by land where robbers lurked all over the place. Uh, so that's why Paul was so dependent on God. Uh, he made his plans, but then he has to move into this section of prayer because without God's blessing, none of this is going to come to fruition. So let's look at verses 30 to 33, <clears throat> talking about Paul's prayers. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now Paul was a gifted scholar, right? He had a staggering intellect. We, we can obviously see that as we read the book of Romans. But Paul was no ivory tower theologian, right, who set himself apart from the people and wrote scholarly works. Uh, that's not who Paul was. Paul immersed himself in evangelism, uh, in prayer, in ministering to the poor, as we see from this gift to the Gentiles, uh, from the Gentiles to Jerusalem. His, his desire to reach the lost sparked the, the, the flame of the gospel throughout the entire region. But as we saw last week, Paul wouldn't take any credit for it. It was all God's work. He understood that. He was on God's mission. He wasn't on his own mission. And so he was only God's instrument. Now, if Paul thought that he was the one who was responsible, as if all depended on him, he wouldn't have been a man of prayer, right? And he certainly would not have solicited the prayers of the Romans. He knew that this was God's work. He knew that he could make his plans, but he needed God also uh, to bless his plans as well and, and to be uh, in one, in lockstep with what God's will is. And so that's why he was so interested in prayer. And we see it in his letters and not just in Romans. Over and over again in his epistles, we see over and over again Paul praying uh, to the Lord uh, because he relied completely on God to open the doors for the gospel and, and to give Paul the opportunity to preach it, even if it cost Paul his life. Paul didn't care. He just wanted to be a minister for Jesus Christ. And he knew that his plans were dangerous, and that's why he asked the Romans to pray for him too. And so here are three things to notice about Paul's prayer. The first thing is that Paul confessed his need. You know, it takes humility uh, to admit that you have need, to confess the need that you have, uh, to ask others to pray for you. Paul was never too proud to ask for prayer. Uh, he knew that he was headed into a tempest in Jerusalem and that there were people there who sought his life and that he needed the Lord's protection. He was a dead man without God. And so Paul asked these Romans to strive with him in prayer. This word strive uh, is used in athletic contests and military battles. Uh, it's, it takes energy, all the energy you have, so that you'll be exhausted from the strain of prayer. Striving takes all of our might, takes us to the limits of exhaustion. So if you're uh, on social media at all and uh, you know, somebody's uh, asking or says they're sick or something, you'll, you'll see all the time that people say, oh, I'm sending good vibes your way, right? Now, Paul was not asking for good vibes. Paul was asking for people to get down on their knees uh, and strive in the hard work of prayer to our sovereign God. That's what he wanted. And so Paul confessed his need. 
He also asked for specific prayer uh, in 1531. Uh, Paul recognized at least two dangers uh, that we can pinpoint here. The first is, of course, the unconverted Jews who wanted Paul dead. They saw Paul as a traitor to Judaism. He's, he's going around preaching this gospel of grace, uh, and they perceive him as not one who, who obeys the law anymore and teaching others not to obey the law. Uh, what is this grace? We, we keep the law. And so they didn't understand that. And he would not stop preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, which they thought was heretical and blasphemous. So the Jews had many reasons to want Paul dead. And he's going right into uh, the lair of the beast, so to speak. He knows that he's going into uh, a troubled spot. And so that's the first danger. The second danger that Paul talks about here is that these Jewish Christians might refuse the gift from the Gentiles. Now, Paul wanted unity in the church. You can't read Paul's epistles and not see this theme that recurs throughout. Unity, unity. It's all throughout his epistles. But integrating the Jews and the Gentiles into one church was tricky business, right? We see this early in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, when the, when the Greek-speaking Christians complained that their widows were being treated unfairly by the Jewish Christians. And we see it in Acts chapter 15 when they're trying to uh, resolve these issues about uh, do we need to make the Gentiles conform to the law. Uh, so it, it was tricky business. It was a sensitive thing between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And so they have this tension between them. And, and Paul prayed that these Jewish Christians would receive the Gentile offering with grace, uh, with gratitude, uh, for, the, for the sake of the unity of the church. And what he hoped they would see is that, look, your own people, the, the Jews, they won't help you. They won't do business with you. They won't hire you. But Christians, Gentile Christians, a thousand miles away will help you. And if they would receive that gift, that would really strengthen the bonds of the church. So he asked for specific prayers to be answered. And then after he had done those two things, he asked for God's will to be done. If God's will were done, according to Paul's prayers anyway, if, if God answered those two prayers, then Paul would be able to come to Rome uh, with joy and find a time of re refreshment in their company. Well, Paul made his plans, uh, but he knew that everything depended on God's will. And then as we see, as he wraps up this chapter, uh, he rested in that prayer and he prayed for the Romans to have peace in God's will in verse 33. So in this prayer, we see a really good model for our own prayers. Uh, we need to confess that we have needs. Uh, it's a very helpful thing to do, not to pray on our own, to share our concerns with other people. If we're too proud to admit our own personal need, well, then we probably won't be people of prayer. And if we're, we're too uh, proud to admit our need to others, well, then others won't be able to pray for us. And we want other people praying for us. Uh, we don't want to come off as Christians like, you know, we are uh, got it all buttoned up, right? We, we, there's nothing wrong with us. We have no needs. We got it all figured out. That's not the way we want to come across as Christians. And it's great if you, if you have, you know, 90% of your life looks great, but that still leaves 10% where we could use some help. And that will fluctuate over time. There are times when we are more in need of prayer uh, for things that, that are, are pressing needs than at, than at others. But we all need prayer for something or other. And we ought to be uh, talking to each other confessing our need, and lifting each other up in prayer. And in that regard, it helps us to tell people specifically what our needs are so that they know how to pray for us. So if somebody says, how can I pray for you? Well, you know, say 
if it's not uh, too personal, tell them exactly what is going on and exactly how you need uh, to be prayed for, and then allow them to come to God's throne for you, lift them up to you. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring something to their uh, attention that maybe you haven't even thought of so that they can lift you up in prayer. And then finally, we leave it to God. We, we ask for prayer, we pray, and then we give it to God. We turn it over uh, and, and have peace with that. We trust God with the outcome. Well, Paul did all these things. So we have to now think about how it all turned out. How did it all turn out for Paul? Uh, he made these plans. He offered these prayers. How did it turn out? Well, Paul <clears throat> left Corinth as he planned. And then he took this route uh, around the Aegean Sea here, uh, back up through Philippi, back along the coast of Asia Minor, and then over here to Sidon, and then to Caesarea, and then to Jerusalem. That was his route. And along the west coast of Asia Minor here, when he was in Miletus in Acts chapter 20, he gathered the Ephesian elders to himself, because he didn't want to stop in Ephesus. He was trying to get back uh, for the Passover. So in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 23, Here's what he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So that was in Miletus. He goes on to, uh, move the map, he went back across uh, to Caesarea, uh, which is just north of, um, of Jerusalem. And what he says, or what happens there, is that he runs into a prophet in Caesarea by the name of Agabus. And this is what Agabus testified. This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And so they all begged Paul not to go. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am not only ready to be bound, but even die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. So Paul made his plans. He offered up prayers, he had his people praying for him, and then the will of the Lord be done. And so, how did it all turn out? Well, Paul went to Jerusalem, and it seems like he received a warm welcome there in Jerusalem from James and the elders, so there's really no reason to think that they would not have accepted uh, the gift. So, what, we'll assume that, he, they, that they, the saints in Jerusalem accepted the gift, although we don't have any specific evidence of that. So, so far, so good. First prayer answered. Then God also rescued him from the people who wanted to do him harm in Judea, but by a whisker, right? Paul just barely got out of Jerusalem uh, with his skin because the Jews accused Paul of breaking the law by bringing a Gentile into the temple, which of course was a, a, an offense punishable by death. And so they tried to kill him for that. They, they nearly tore him apart before a Roman soldier came, rescued him by arresting him and putting him in a barracks where he might be safe. Now, from that point forward, Paul was a prisoner. Paul was no longer a free man, able to go where he wanted, do what he wanted to do, and so it seemed like Paul's plans had been thwarted by God. But what Paul will learn is that this was simply a divine interruption, which results in divine appointment that he would have later on. So he was not free to travel to Rome. He was not free to travel to Spain. And I imagine Paul on his knees praying to God, Lord, I'm risking my life for you to take the gospel everywhere. Uh, surely this must be your will to have other people who haven't heard the gospel hear it. Why are you allowing all this? 
And I think that that's a prominent theme in our prayers too, right? We pray to God. We have these things that we want. Uh, we want to do God's will, but we uh, hope that God's will will line up with our will rather than vice versa, right? And so we ask God why he allows cancer or why he allows the death of a child or financial hardship or health problems or relational conflict or any one of a number of different things that God allows in our lives. And we, we can't understand how it would be God's will that he would allow us to suffer when we're trying to do all these great things for God. Why, God? Why do you allow these things? Well, we learn that, that God will change our best laid plans. Uh, to conform to his will. And even when our plans and God's will uh, mesh perfectly, when they perfectly coincide, that doesn't mean that God is going to take us where he wants us to be on a straight line. Uh, I can testify about that myself from the journey that I had from lawyer to pastor. That was, I thought, you know, straight line. And God said, no, this is what the line's going to look like. You'll get there, but you're not going to get there the way you think you're going to get there. And Paul learned the same thing. And so there's hardship on the way. Uh, and as Paul learned, uh, we have to depend on God, even though we make our plans and even when our plans align with God's will. Still, uh, God is in control of this. God is sovereign. So after Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, Jesus appeared to him. You remember that? At night and, and, and in a vision. And he says, uh, Paul, you will testify for me in Rome. So uh, what an amazing uh, feeling that must have been for Paul to hear those words. Now, Jesus left out exactly how he would testify for him in Rome, which I think probably was a blessing to Paul not to know exactly how it was going to happen. So God would answer Paul's prayer, but just not how Paul thought or how Paul prayed the prayer. So the Jews continued to try to kill Paul. They continued to try to conspire against him. And they probably would have succeeded if God hadn't perfectly placed his nephew to overhear their plot. So the nephew could report it to the Roman commander who then put Paul uh, under guard and sent him off to Caesarea to stand trial there. So Paul had his prayer answered. God answered the prayer to protect him from the disobedient who were in Judea. But then Paul spent two years in Caesarea, two years in Caesarea, uh, waiting for justice from the corrupt Felix and Festus, uh, which would not come. But he was able to testify about the Lord Jesus Christ before both of them and before the Jewish king Agrippa. Now, he never would have had that audience if he hadn't arrived in Caesarea the way he had. Uh, he got to testify before the most powerful men on earth because God interrupted his plans, uh, gave him divine appointments. And when they asked him to go to Jerusalem, go back to Jerusalem to stand trial, that's when he uh, appealed to Caesar, and that's when he uh, was put on a ship to go to Rome. So in Rome, or on his way to Rome, uh, okay, I'm finally getting there, going to get to Rome, not exactly how I planned, but at least we're going to get there. Shipwreck, right? Shipwreck. The ship busts up on a bunch of rocks, and here's Paul in chains, clinging to a piece of wood, trying to get to the beach so that he can survive. So he did survive. He lands on this island called Malta. They spend the winter in Malta before finally getting to Rome in chains. In Rome, he spends two years under house arrest there, uh, receiving his friends. And while he's there, he's writing letters to the churches. So Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, all written from uh, jail in Rome. And Paul's vision was to do this quick stop in Rome, right? I'm just going to stop here quick, have some fellowship with you, and then you guys will send me on 
my way to Spain. Well, that wasn't God's plan. Paul, uh, God wanted Paul in Rome for a little while. If you remember uh, reading in Philippians, uh, what, did, what did God accomplish uh, through Paul's imprisonment in Rome? Paul said he converted nearly the entire Roman guard uh, while in jail in Rome. Now, the way they did this was they would be uh, shackled to a Roman guard. Can you imagine being shackled next to Paul as an unbeliever? Uh, I would say, yeah, Paul, I believe, just enough. <laughs> uh, he was a very persistent fellow. Uh, so that's, I think, uh, how he did it. He just told Jesus, told, spoke the gospel to them, uh, and finally they all believed. So. He converted nearly the entire Roman guard. And remember where Paul said, I hope to come to you in joy? Well, in Philippians, Paul mentions the word joy, his own joy, 16 times in a four-chapter letter. So Paul came to the Romans with joy, just not how he thought he was going to come. And so uh, think about that. Not only did he accomplish more than he hoped to in the present, but look what happened over the last 2,000 years. How many people have been converted because Paul did a two-year prison stint in Rome, uh, writing these letters, and how many other people have been encouraged by the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison there? So Christians have to remember, uh, brothers and sisters, we all have to remember that God's plans are bigger than ours, and they're better than ours, and we need to trust him with them. It's through hardship, it's through suffering, and it's through unexpected delays that God accomplishes his will. Well, last question. Did Paul ever make it to Spain? <clears throat> and the truth is, we don't know. The book of Acts ends with Rome, uh, with Paul in prison, still in Rome. The, the book ends very abruptly. He's still there. But the events of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus don't fit anywhere in the chronology of the book of Acts. Uh, so scholars believe that Paul was released from his Roman imprisonment in about 62 AD, and then all of the events that are recorded in 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus happened after that period of time. Uh, and then Paul got himself rearrested and taken to another second Roman imprisonment uh, where he was then killed. Uh, and Paul talks about that in 2nd Timothy, uh, how his life is, is being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, that is, it was written the second, at, at Paul's second Roman imprisonment just before he was executed under Nero. So did he make it to Spain? Well, we have very little evidence to go on. But here is what Clement of Rome uh, wrote in a letter to the Corinthians about 96 or 97 AD about Paul. He said, to the whole world, he brought righteousness and reaching the limits of the West, he bore witness to his rulers. Clement's from Rome. Uh, to him, the limits of the West is not Rome. The limits of the West would be Spain. So did Paul get there? What did Clement mean by the limits of the West? We don't know, but maybe Paul did make it to Spain in that intervening uh, few years between the time he was released and, and uh, imprisoned again. <clears throat> now, whether he made it there physically or not, his letters sure made it there, uh, and the gospel made it there, because the whole world has heard the gospel, and we have Paul to thank for this. So God can use us in ways way beyond uh, what we can plan or what we can imagine, uh, because our plans are in his hands to do with what uh, he will. So in this passage, we see Paul making plans. We see him praying. You know, from, from his perspective, when he wrote this letter, he probably planned to be in Rome in maybe six to 12 months from the time of writing of the letter. 
It took at least three years for him to get to Rome and nowhere near how he hoped and planned to get there. Uh, so he could have drowned. He could have been murdered. Anything could have happened to him on the way. And this is not exactly what Paul had in mind when he was planning and praying for God's will to be done. And yet, at the end of it all, God always proved to be faithful. So let's think about how we can apply this to our lives. The first thing we need to understand is that God is sovereign over our plans. Paul's vision was grand. It's an immense vision to try to proclaim the gospel to the whole world, at least as far as Paul knew. But God's vision is bigger even still. Look at what God did through Paul's ministry. So make plans while you ask God to show you his plans. And if God puts up a roadblock, if you hit an animal on the way to Florida, or if you get um, uh, arrested in Jerusalem for some reason, uh, realize that God has something bigger in mind when he allows these divine interruptions. And he may need to rearrange your itinerary to accomplish his will. But at the same time, don't just sit still because God is sovereign over our plans. We should make plans. It's right to make plans. Uh, we are laborers in his vineyard. Remember we just sang that in the days of Elijah. We're laborers in his vineyard. We're not sloths in the trees near the vineyard who don't do anything. We're laborers. We go out. We do work. Uh, if Paul never left Tarsus, how would God use him to change the world? So get busy doing something. Follow him. Look for what God is already doing and join him in that work and then allow God to direct. So God is sovereign over our plans. Secondly, God answers our prayer according to his will. Paul prayed. He enlisted the entire Roman church to pray for him. Did God answer their prayers? Well, yeah, but just not how they thought. Uh, Paul may probably thought God wasn't answering his prayers as he's in jail in Jerusalem and then beaten and arrested there. He's in jail in Caesarea, uh, couldn't get to Rome. Uh, but Paul did get to Rome. He just didn't get there the way he had thought he would. Uh, so God was faithful to answer his prayers, just not exactly the way Paul prayed them. Uh, Tim Keller has once said, uh, God answers our prayers the way we would pray them if we knew everything that he knew. So God's sovereignty, he can see way beyond what we can see. Our scope is limited. God's scope is infinite. Now for you, many of you have been praying the same prayer for years the salvation of a child, a resolution of some health issue, a desire of your heart to do ministry of some kind. And if it seems like God is silent on these things, uh, we have to realize that the purpose of prayer is not to get God to conform his will to ours, but to get us to conform our will to his. That is what we're doing in prayer. So God will answer our prayer according to his will. And if we pray, and God continues to block our path, if he sets up some roadblock, that's God answering our prayers, just not the way we originally prayed them. He's accomplishing his will, his way, in his time. So there are divine interruptions which result in divine appointments. Now, to apply this to our church, you all know that we have been praying in this church to reach the neighborhood here for the gospel, for Christ, in some way. And as of now, we have not had the impact in this neighborhood that we would like to have. Now, I don't know why. We've been praying this since we moved into this building, which is three and a half years ago now. God has his plans. God has his will. We continue to pray. We continue to walk through open doors like uh, Paul did. And we just will continue to pray that for whatever reason, God has delayed our impact in this neighborhood 
that he's got a good reason for it. And at some point, we are going to break out and we are just going to fill this neighborhood with the gospel for those who don't have it. And we're going to trust God to do that in his plans and in his timing. And so we're not going to say, well, I guess God doesn't want us to reach this neighborhood since he hasn't opened doors, right? What would Paul's mission have looked like if, if, if Paul stumbled at the first roadblock? We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep doing what we can to try to reach this neighborhood for uh, Jesus Christ. So pray persistently, uh, be patient, and we'll watch God do greater things that we can even ask or imagine. So we need to be flexible. We need to trust God. I'm sure Paul felt like banging his head against a wall so many times as he was trying to make this trip to Rome, enduring beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks. He probably cried out, this is the plan, God? Are you kidding me? He probably shouted that more than once. Uh, But Paul learned flexibility. He made plans, but he held them loosely. Even though there was trouble waiting in Jerusalem, he trusted God to protect him and accomplish his will. So make plans while you pray. Be flexible and trust God, knowing that he is sovereign, he is good, and he loves you more than you can imagine. And when it seems like you've hit an impassable roadblock, that's when God does his best work. So trust in that. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that Paul's life be a testimony and a witness to us about the hardships of the Christian life And, Lord, how we must strive to do your will in prayer and in planning. Lord, let us not be lackadaisical, lazy Christians. Let us be a people of of work, a people of action, people of prayer, people who strive to reach the lost with the gospel. And, Lord, when you throw up a roadblock, uh, let us understand, Lord, that this is uh, merely a divine interruption leading to a divine appointment that you have, Lord, and that you will accomplish your will in your way and in your time. And Lord, we do pray as a church that we would reach this neighborhood with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we've waited three and a half years to really make an impact, but that's nothing to you, Lord. Uh, We trust your plans. We trust your timing. And Lord, uh, we pray that not only in this neighborhood, but uh, in our families, among our friend groups, in our workplaces, that we would have a big impact for you, Lord. We ask that you bless that. And we pray these things in Christ's matchless name. Amen.